You are listening to Love Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. We can water this down any way you want. When you're 10, there's nothing good about being different. It's all about being the same and conforming and being like everybody else. And high school gets a little better, but not much. But when you get into your 20s, everybody's kind of tired of the same old person that's just like everybody else. And if you're a little quirky, you're actually more interesting to people. It took me a long time to be able to correctly read people and read people's intentions and uh, know what to look out for for whether uh, to trust somebody or not. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you're listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 246, Life on the Spectrum, airing for the first time on Sunday, June 5th, 2016. What is it like to understand life in a way that doesn't always match up with others around you? Children and adults on the autism spectrum live this reality every day. Today we speak with the Volk family, including... Derek, Dylan, and Amy Volk. Their experience is detailed in Derek Volk's well-regarded book, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy, is how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Maine Magazine presents the Kenny Bunkport Festival, June 6th through June 11th. Join in the fun with over 35 events throughout the week, including big fun parties, private dinners, cocktails, music, and art. Take your pick or attend them all by visiting KennyBunkportFestival.com or by calling 207-772-3373. It is my great pleasure to have with me in the studio today Derek and Amy Volk. Derek is the author of the internationally acclaimed Amazon bestseller, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. Derek is a Maine businessman, supporter of autism awareness, volunteer, and philanthropist who, along with his family, was recently named the 2015 Spurwing Humanitarian of the Year. He is currently the president and co-owner of Vogue Packaging Corporation, and he also has his own radio show, which I will ask him about in uh, not too long a time here. We also have with him Amy Folk, his wife, the state senator for District 30, which includes most of Buxton, most of Scarborough, and all of Gorham. Prior to being elected to the Senate, she served two terms in the main house as the representative for House District 127, Coastal Scarborough. Derek and Amy live in Scarborough, and they have four children. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having us. Thanks a lot. We are very lucky to have you because you are both so busy. You have the business, you have the governmental stuff, you're involved in all kinds of community outreach activities, you have this book that you've been talking about. I mean, you have four children, 
and how <laughs> I don't know how you do it all. It's kind of amazing, really, the energy that you have. It's never dull. Yeah, we, we're never we're never lacking for something to do. And you you've been together for how many years now? Uh, Thirty one. So you've largely you've lived more of your lives together now than yes. separately. Oh yeah, yep. yeah. We passed that a while ago. <laughs> so this is quite an adventure for you. This life that you've created. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's exciting. There's so, a lot going on. And you, Derek, you in addition to doing um, Vogue Packaging Corporation, which is a third generation family owned corrugated box manufacturer in Biddeford. You are um, involved in the Maine Business Leadership Network, and um, this is an organization that focuses on connecting employers with potential employees who have disabilities. So you have a lot of interesting social interests that go outside of the work that you do in your company. Yeah, actually, ironically, I just spent about an hour on the phone with them yesterday trying to help restructure the direction that they're going. But the Business Leadership Network is... along with some other organizations here in Maine are trying really hard to help young adults with disabilities get jobs. There's a huge amount, especially of people on the autism spectrum entering the workforce. So we all as citizens, as business owners, need to be aware of that and figure out how we're going to get these people employed because if we don't, then we're all going to be paying for them. Yeah, you know, that that is a really good point. Um, one of the things that I was talking to Dylan about was the, the fact that you went through this diagnosis of the month club thing back in the 90s because at that point people didn't have as much of an awareness about Asperger's and the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. But now we have awareness and we have people who have grown up who right. have these issues. But we're really not at the point yet where a lot of employers, there are some obvious employers that embrace the real techie people on the autism spectrum that, you know, are are just happy to sit behind a computer and code all day long. But that's not all, that's sort of a stereotype. That's definitely not our kid and that's definitely not everybody on the autism spectrum, as well as a lot of other people that have different types of disabilities. One of the cool things that Derek has done is really be a model employer in terms of employing people with disabilities. Um, And honestly, every employer in Maine should be that way because we have such a tight workforce. But they employ a person um, who's blind, a person who's legally deaf, one then, or two people on the autism spectrum, yeah. one out in the plant and one in the office. Yeah. And they, you know, some of them definitely do require some accommodations, but these are not expensive accommodations. Um, these are, are more things like maybe not always holding them to the same accountability standards as everybody else is held to. Not um, not that they get a pass on everything, but there's just needs to be sort of more of an understanding that um, the project that you've given them might, they might need more instructions on how to complete it properly than another person, or maybe they need a little bit more time. But at the end of the day, um, it's about doing the right thing and giving these people the dignity of earning their own way in life because they don't want to be sitting home on the couch. Yeah, like the woman, the young woman that works for us in our office, she gets overwhelmed if if she's our executive assistant is her official title. And if everybody, if myself and my CFO and my uncle are all throwing projects at her, she, 
that's overwhelming. So at, after working in the office for a little while, we realized we need one person that manages her schedule. If we have a project for her, we bring it to our human resources manager, and then she manages, helps her manage this woman's time so that she doesn't get overwhelmed because multitasking is really difficult and she wants to please everybody so she ends up doing a bunch of projects not well in, instead of doing each project in the time frame that it's needed. So it's things like that and the, the deaf woman, the really the only accommodation we've had to make for her is every day someone is a, basically assigned to her, it's usually the same woman every day but it, unless she's on vacation so that if the fire alarm goes off somebody tells sue hey by the way the place is on fire um because <laughs> she may not hear the fire alarm and so that's a pretty minor accommodation yeah well do you think that people are sometimes so overwhelmed by i don't know a diagnosis that they can't even see a place of entry for someone who might have um, different needs mm -hmm. they feel like this is such a big deal i just can't i can't do it yeah, I think that is part of the problem, and the other part of the problem is, especially for people on the autism spectrum, not Dylan, because Dylan, our son, is very outgoing. He's really good at getting jobs. Not so good at keeping jobs, but really good at getting jobs. And he he can fake normal for 15 to 20 minutes in a job interview and tell people what they want to hear, and he can get the job. But a lot of the people on the autism spectrum are socially awkward. And the fact is, is that employers, human resource managers, small business owners, they're people. And if they have two people with the same skills that come in for a job and they have to decide which one they're going to hire, and one of them is socially awkward and one of them you can see yourself going out and having a beer with on a Friday night, the fact is, is they're going to hire the person they're more comfortable with. And we all as business owners in Maine and employers need to kind of open our open our eyes up to you know this isn't necessarily about who we might want to have a, have a beer with on a Friday night it's who might do the job and they say that in most workplaces 80% of the work 80% of the day is spent social and 20% is spent actually working and with someone on the spectrum it's usually the opposite so we should be actually wanting to hire more people on the spectrum because they because they're not going to be hanging around the water cooler chit-chatting <laughs> that's a good point um i i think about also the the fact that if we're always around people who are exactly the way that we are then we probably don't expand who we are mm -hmm. in any large way and Very it's usually sure. about hanging around people that aren't exactly like us that we right i don't know broaden our horizons somewhat yeah and i think that that people are aware of that somewhat more um obviously racially or culturally and they don't really remember that that's also true for people with disabilities and that actually reminds me of a question when Dylan and I were in Cleveland at an autism conference speaking in Cleveland, and a woman asked if it gets easier. She has a 10-year-old. She had a 10-year-old, and she asked if it gets easier to make friends as they get older. And I kind of held my breath because I thought, oh, my goodness, if Dylan tells her that it doesn't get easier, she's going to leave here with no hope. And knowing Dylan, I knew that he wasn't going to tell her what she wanted to hear just to make her feel better because he's just not wired that way. <laughs> and so I kind of held my breath and thought, oh my goodness, what's going to come? What, what is he going to say? And it was one of the best answers that he gave in all the conferences we've been to. And what he said is, look, 
we can water this down any way you want. When you're 10, there's nothing good about being different. It's all about being the same and conforming and being like everybody else. And high school gets a little better, but not much. But when you get into your 20s, everybody's kind of tired of the same old person that's just like everybody else. And if you're a little quirky, you're actually more interesting to people. And so tell them to hang in there because it, and he like reached out to the kid through the mom and said, tell them to hang in there because it will get easier. And I was like, Phew, you know, thank, you know, <laughs> he gave her an honest response, but also some hope. And, and Dylan's, when Dylan speaks, when we do our presentations and we've been speaking all around the country, he's such an inspiration because they hear what we went through and then they see this kid, this young man on stage and they're like, I'm not making the connection. How is everything that you, dad, just said ended up with this kid who's so dynamic because he's a tremendous speaker and just holds nothing back. He tells people exactly what he went through and, and what he still goes through. And like I, I told Amy, I texted Amy from Richmond, Virginia back a few months ago, and I said, now I know how Ringo Starr felt because he's the rock star at all these events we go to. As parents, um, I'm not sure if this is the way that you felt when Dylan got to be 18, but there is this sense within our culture that when someone turns 18, okay, great, now you're done. And I think most people, <laughs> <laughs> right, I know you're laughing, because I, 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 I have children who are both over the age of 18, and I don't actually think that you really yeah. are done. But, I, but I'm guessing that with Dylan, you really aren't done. Yeah. There's really always going to be right. some sort of connection that you will have with him that probably is a little different. than Most likely. And I think that in our minds, even though he'll be 25 this summer, he's sort of developmentally only re- just now reaching 18. So, you know, when he turned 18 was actually a very scary day in our lives because the the law doesn't necessarily take into account when someone has a developmental disability. So, you know, we were really afraid that he was going to get into some serious trouble and be held accountable as an adult, and that was terrifying. So I'm thinking about my, my own brother, who uh, my parents have 10 children, and um, they're all grown now. My own, one of my brothers went through a time where he didn't have any good reason for being in trouble with the law, but he just was. Yeah. And it was really hard on my parents. Sure. It was really difficult to go through the court system and um, everything that is a part of, of, I think his issue was sh- an episode of shoplifting, which I believe also was something that Dylan did. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I just... I wonder, as his parents, how, if he does it once, then you can say, okay, he did it once. But I know that he was actually in trouble with the law three, on three separate occasions for three really different reasons. Mm-hmm. What was that like to go through that? Uh, well, it's been more than three occasions, unfortunately. But he, you know, a couple of times we didn't even find out. Like, when he got arrested for shoplifting, we didn't even know he until he was out of jail he had spent a couple days in jail and then we found out afterwards and so he he went through that kind of on his own and uh because he was living in florida he was living yeah he was living in florida at the time um but it's 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 terrifying i mean when and i tell a story about you know seeing dylan come out in this orange jumpsuit and and it's just it's a it's an awful awful feeling and when you know that like amy said that 
they're treating him like every other every other person in jail when developmentally he he really doesn't even a lot of times he didn't even really understand what he did wrong uh it's it's really difficult and the shoplifting i he actually we spoke about he spoke about that when we were at one of the conferences and i had never even heard the story every time i'm with him i learn more about him <laughs> and and uh and he told me that he he you know some of his friends had done some shoplifting and he was down in florida and he thought well you know maybe i'll try it and and he said i tried here and there and god seemed pretty easy and then he said i got cocky and i and i felt like you know my whole backpack full of stuff and he just went you know went a little overboard and of course he got arrested for it so um it's it's a it's a very trying experience and the court system doesn't cut any slack for people with with disabilities um but I think there's there is some progress being made. There are some organizations out there. Uh, there's an organization right here in Maine called Asset. I forget exactly what it stands for, but they were on my radio show. But I forget what it stands for. And they're actually their mission is to go to police stations and law offices and judges and explain autism to them so that they have a better understanding. So there's it's starting, but it's a slow process. Well, since you brought up your radio show, tell us a little bit about that. I have a radio show on WLOB on Saturday mornings, uh, 1310 AM and 100.5 FM. It's called The Derek Volk Show, and it's basically, it started out as a business show, and now it's basically whoever I find interesting. So between going around the country with this book and all the people that I meet through Amy's legislative work, if I meet someone, I just say, hey, you should come on my radio show and talk about that because it sounds interesting. And I think people would like to hear more about it. Um, and my show was two hours, but because of all the work that this book has been, I actually backed the show up to one hour, and they gave Dylan the other hour. So 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings on WLOB, you can hear Riding with Dylon, which is fantastic. I have to be honest, it's much better than my show. <laughs> and it is probably the only show maybe in the country the only talk radio show that's from a millennial's perspective. I mean, a 24-year-old with his own talk radio show is pretty unique. Most of, most talk radio shows are, you know, older men. And it's he just does a great job. He talks about music and politics, and he has a, a segment called Dating with Dylon, uh, which is sometimes a little edgy for 9 o'clock in the morning. but <laughs> Social uh, media tips. Very interesting, yes, yeah, social media tips. He does a, he does a great job. <laughs> yeah, so we're really, we're really proud of it. You can catch that at ridingwithdylon.com. I, I like the fact that the two of you have, uh, didn't feel the need to kind of define what you were going to do with your lives or who you were going to be, that you continue to, if something seems interesting, you know, to have a radio show. You know, if you, <laughs> if you want to be a state senator, great, let's do that. You know, I mean, it's it seems like you, uh, you go forward in a direction with some confidence and you get a lot out of it and you just keep moving forward. I don't think everybody does that. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> That's sort of, I mean... In some ways, though, you know, we're, we're, we're both living in the state that we grew up in, so, you know, that hasn't changed. And um, I guess we just feel as though, I think our faith somewhat informs us of, you know, the fact that, 
in the end, things usually end up being okay, and you know that um, we both feel like God has a plan for our lives, and so if something presents itself as an opportunity and it seems like the right thing to do, then we take it and go with it. When she came home and told me she was going to run for the legislature, I told her she was crazy. And and I said, why would anybody want to do that? And she said, I really feel like I can make a difference. And I said, all right, well, let's do it. And she said, and then she said shortly after that, she said, you know, if this isn't supposed to be, then doors will close and it won't work out. And if it is supposed to be, then God will open the doors and they'll it'll show, uh, I'll see that it's what I'm supposed to do. And God just kept opening doors one after another. And then she ended up running for Senate and winning that. And she's just done an amazing job and she's made a real difference in this state. So it, it all worked out. I understand, Amy, that you have, um, You've had a strong interest in helping victims of human trafficking, mm-hmm. which is a really tough subject. And yeah. a lot of people don't even want to touch that. Right. <laughs> Why do you have an interest? Why is it important to you? Um, I guess I have a I have an interest in general in a lot of justice issues, which is odd since I'm a you know most people would call me a conservative, and I, I feel like I'm a moderate Republican, but um, you know I do have some conservative views as well. But I also feel like, again, from the faith perspective, that we're called to help people who can't help themselves. And so anyone who's um, caught in a web of of human trafficking, including sex trafficking victims, um, they need to be someone that we have mercy on. And, you know, I have a, a real strong feeling about juveniles as well. And fortunately in Maine, we do a really good job with juveniles, but, um, I'm starting to think about ways that we can think about particularly this population of people, again, that are developmentally disabled. Um, You know, should they be held accountable to the same legal standards um, while they're still developing as their, you know, same-aged peers? And I think that anyone, you know, any informed psychologist would tell you that they shouldn't. So, um, but that's not something that the the legal system, the judicial system has really addressed yet. So it's actually work that I'm looking forward to to doing um, in the future. And then, I mean, the way that I got involved in sex trafficking was was really just, it was a subject that I had been aware of. And then um, I read about it in the paper. And you know, it was in the Bangor Daily News in our weekend edition, talking about how, you know, Maine really was behind the times compared to a lot of other states in addressing uh, this issue. And I was a little surprised because I knew that sort of quietly some legislation had passed with some language changes. And there was no fanfare about that. It was very, you know, done very quietly. And I think that's probably why, because there was this stigma attached to it. And I think that people thought that there would be a lack of understanding around, you know, what's the difference between prostitution and, you know, being a sex trafficking victim. And so that was done very, very quietly. And so I put my bill in, <laughs> feeling like, well, hey, the second largest newspaper had this, you know, on the front 
page of, of the weekend edition, so I'm sure it's something that everybody else is also aware of. And it turned out that, no, not so much. And that sort of really, really blew up. But the cool thing about it was that it sparked discussions all over the state about okay, what is sex trafficking? Is it really happening in Maine? What's the difference between that and prostitution? You know, um, so how are we addressing it? And just people came out of the woodwork to say, you know, hey, I was a victim or hey, I see this all the time as a, um, a prosecutor and we've begun to understand there really is a huge difference and that we have a problem, yes, right here in Maine, not even just in Portland, Lewiston and Bangor. So um, I'm really honored in a way that that I've sort of become the person that people um, look to to sponsor this legislation because, you know, when it comes right down to it, I'm not the one out in the streets doing this work with the victims um, or even working in the attorney general's office or, or the district attorney's office or the police station. Um, but I've become a voice for those people and, and the way that they want the... Um, statute to change to address this in a better way in Maine. So it's pretty neat. And yeah. right after your bill passed, there was a big bust right in Gorham, right. which is in her district. <laughs> right. It was where, just ironic. Where there was, in a residential, nice residential neighborhood, people had called the police and said there are cars coming in and out and men going in and out at all hours of the night, and nobody paid any attention to it. And it ended up, it was a sex trafficking ring. And so, you know, roll back five years to when she said, I think I can make a difference. And there you go. One question that I don't want to leave without asking is, how is it that you are so willing to lay your life on the line here. You were so remarkably honest in your book, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. I mean, you talk about how angry it made you. It talked. You talked about how you felt at times that it actually impacted your marriage, that it got in between you and Amy. I mean, Derek, you just, you're, you were, you did not hold anything back. Or at least I don't think you did. If you did, then you, you told a lot still. <laughs> so how, I mean, it seems like both of you are very willing to kind of get in the tussle. Well, I'll tell you, the truth is, is that as I wrote this book, I didn't think anyone was ever going to read it. I wrote it uh, without telling Dylan. I didn't tell Dylan until the book was not all edited and everything, but it, I had finished everything I felt like I wanted to say. And then I called Dylan and I told him that I wrote this book about him. And I was pretty convinced. And Mariah, who actually, I wrote, I did the whole book by audio and I emailed it to Mariah and she typed it for me, my 22 year old daughter. And I called her that morning and I said, what do you think Dylan's going to say? And she, she said, I don't think he's going to let you do it. And I, so I thought he was going to say, you know, there's no way you can tell everybody all this. So as I wrote the book, I just figured, what the heck, just lay it out there, and it's probably just going to end up sitting on my hard drive for the rest of my life anyway. And then when Dylan was was supportive of it, and I said, well, there's going to be some things in here you're not going to like. And he said, no, I'm all right with it. And I, and I said, and then I said, you know, we may be able to even travel and do some speaking about the book. And he said, Oh, I'd be great at that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
And so he he read the whole book and actually had one minor change. He he basically let me go with the book exactly as it was, which is extremely nothing short of courageous in my opinion to expose yourself. And I have when we go to conferences, people will pull me aside after we present and they'll say, "I can't believe how honest Dylan is about what you went through and I can't believe how you say what you say right in front of him like that and Dylan will tell you he said hey I'm an open book and at this point I I have nothing to hold back and it's just been an amazing experience I can't even describe I could tell you story after story I'm I'm speaking at another library tomorrow and I'm sure that there's gonna be somebody there that needs to hear our story that feels alone that feels like they're the only ones going through this that uh, is a grandparent who doesn't understand why their kid is such a pain in the butt and thinks he's just needs some discipline and i i i've done over 50 speaking engagements now and i have another several dozen planned and i feel like every room i walk into whether there's 10 people or 500 people that god put that person in the room for a reason and God put me in that room for a reason and there's something I'm going to say that's going to reach them and that everything we went through was because this book was supposed to be written this was part of the wacky plan that God had for us how can people find out about your book Derek uh, the easiest way is just go to our website chasingtherabbit.org and if you go to chasingtherabbit.org, you can uh, buy the book, right? It'll bring you a link to Amazon, and it's on Kindle and Nook and iBook and all those uh, e-books. And also on our website, there's a list on the of all the speaking engagements that we have coming up, so you can see where we'll be presenting, as well as some video. And uh, if you have a child that has autism and or any disability, and you have a sibling as well, I would recommend that you check out the video of Dylan and Mariah from the Southern Maine Autism Conference. Uh, they did a whole presentation about autism and the sibling relationship, and it's just fantastic. And, I, and I've talked to a lot of parents who have just told me how much hope it gave them because their kids are just at each other all the time. And to see that as they get older, that you know the, the child, the neurotypical child, starts to understand the impact that growing up with a with sibling with a disability has um, is really uh, very very inspirational to a lot of parents. Amy, how can people find out about your legislative work? Uh, I do have a website, amy4me.com, and um, I'm I'm on social media a lot. I'm on Twitter, Mom4, the number four, Volks, V-O-L-K-S, and um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> All that fun stuff. Snapchat. I even I even Snapchat. That's I'm trying to keep that with just me and the kids though. <laughs> they finally all accepted me. <laughs> well, I haven't I haven't tried to get my kids to accept me yet, so yeah, I give well, you a lot of credit on that. It was that a one. stretch. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of begging. Involved. Ironically, the last one was Mariah, the one that's going to law school next year, and she was like, "Mom, that's the last place that I can be, a, you know, like my alone." <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed. I want to be your friend. 
<laughs> well, it's nice that she has that uh, that desire. You you both have that desire to have yeah. a close relationship. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure speaking with the two of you. This is Derek you. Volk, who is the author of the internationally acclaimed Amazon bestseller, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life, Raising a Son on the Spectrum. Uh, Derek is also the president and co-owner of Volk Packaging Corporation. And also with Amy Volk, she is the state senator for District 30. They live in Scarborough and have four children, including Dylan, who was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome when he was eight. I really encourage people to take some time to learn more about the Volk family and about the experiences that Amy and Derek and Dylan and their other children have had with Asperger's. And I appreciate all the time that you have taken out in the world to um, help us all understand better. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine's seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch Lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is Portland's largest gallery and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting work of contemporary Maine artists, and we also host a series of monthly solo shows in our newly expanded space. The current show schedule includes Eric Hopkins, Matthew Russ, Jane Damon, William Crosby, and Ruth Hamill, to name a few. Please visit our website for complete show details at artcollectormain.com. It's my great pleasure to have with me today Dylan Volk, whose experience was detailed by his father in the book Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life, Raising a Son on the Spectrum. And Dylan, you get to be the subject of this uh, book, and it's uh, it was an interesting read, and I wondered, I wondered how you felt about being part of this. Uh, I didn't have any problem with it. Uh, I thought that it would lead to me doing a lot of talks to promote the book. That was my first thought, and I knew I'd be good at that, and I uh, thought that that would be a really interesting way to get our story out there to help people. So from what I understand, for many years, you were part of what your parents called the Diagnosis of the Month Club. That sounds kind of frustrating. Yeah, every doctor just decided to diagnose me with whatever they specialized in. And that, that doesn't always work all that well. For a long time. And that doesn't always work all that well. No, no. I mean, it fit a little bit of what was going on, but it didn't explain the whole story, you know. When I was reading your father's book, he spoke a lot about um, some of these great passions you had, and not just the the trouble that you experienced, you were very focused on some specific things, including cars. Cars for you was was important. Is that something that yeah. continues to be important for you today? That is something I'm still interested in, but it's certainly not like it was then. I went through a couple years where that was all I ever wanted to talk about, think about. And is that common for you that you you find something that you become passionate about and then you um, get really good at it for a number of years before or amount of time before moving on? 
Yeah, that's a trait of uh, Asperger's. It's a one of the most common characteristics. So you were able to figure this out with your parents over time and graduate from Scarborough High School in 2010. Before that, you spent time in other educational settings, some of which um, maybe weren't the best fit for you. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, like, which which one uh, in particular? There's many that fit that description. There was a boarding school. There was uh, a private school where uh, it was just basically... I don't think it would have fit many people's uh, educational environment. I'm not even sure it would have fit uh, up to, like, educational standards if the place got inspected. It was so filthy. And then there was uh, a boarding school um, where it was, like, basically a boot camp for Asperger's where they would uh, – it was all kids with Asperger's, and I had to go do things like living in the woods, kind of like a wilderness-oriented school. Did you learn anything or get anything positive out of these experiences? Uh, certain ones I did and certain ones were just uh, complete flops. Had to just get out of there. Didn't didn't really do much. That one in particular, the boot camp for kids with Asperger's was uh, helpful to an extent, yeah. You currently um, are working on your YouTube channel, Dylon Comedy, and you've produced quite, yeah. quite a lot of videos. You have, you have a good sense of humor about, I think, yourself and your life and your diagnosis, but also about many other different types of things. Is that a normal outlet for people with Asperger's, is comedy? No, it's definitely not. Um, definitely kind of goes against a lot of the um, a lot of uh, everything about Asperger's because it involves directly relating with people and reading people and uh, interacting with people. So it's kind of the, the last thing that one would expect somebody with Asperger's to be in for a field. So why did you decide to be part of this? Uh, it's just always been making people laugh has always been the thing that I've been good at. And I noticed that I've always been good at that, always been better at that significantly than anybody else. And uh, sometimes in life, the best thing to do is to pursue what you're really, really good at rather than pursuing what your, you know, number one choice would be. And so uh, I'm, uh, that's what I'm working on. Well, describe your YouTube channel describe dialon comedy and also riding with dialon yeah. it's uh it's a it's a youtube comedy channel it's me doing comedic skits and like public pranks and kind of just funny little things and it's all based on reality it's all based on my real personality my real life uh very little of it is even written or exaggerated that much and then it, i also have some uh, music videos like song parodies like my most viewed video is a poker face parody lady gaga where it uh, depicts my struggle as a heterosexual guy trying to make friends with gay guys but i just want to be friends but i really want to hang out with some cool gay guys 
and so I'm trying to go out and I'm trying to meet gay guys, but just to be friends. And it shows how that can be kind of weird. Yeah, I watched that, and it was really funny. And I also wondered if some people, um, if it was a little bit kind of uh, politically incorrect, I would say. Have you gotten that kind of response? Which, which parts? <laughs> oh, oh, just this the stereotype of uh, of gay men being a certain way. Well, those are all. That's all me, though. That's all my personality. That's why it's uh, it's real because that's what I meant. Like it's not really written. Like all the things that I said. Like I said, uh, I don't watch sports. I'd rather watch whatever's on the E, like Fashion Police. You know, and then one of the gay guys says, you, you can't be straight. You went to see Kathy Griffin live. And both of those are true about me. So all I know is that they're true about me. I don't know if they're stereotypically true about anybody else, but they're just true about me. <laughs> well, like I did. I thought it was really funny, actually. I thought it was really, it was really clever. Yeah. Um, Thank you. So... Do you feel as if you yourself are ever stereotyped as someone who has Asperger's or someone who is on the spectrum? No, because most people don't know that I have it. So I, I don't really uh, get that chance. And okay, has that been a problem? Yeah, one of the things I talk about in uh, my seminars when I go around and uh, talk about the book is that uh, it can be a struggle uh, that a lot of people aren't aware of if you're somebody who comes off as high-functioning and basically most people just assume that you don't have anything, don't have any neurological uh, diagnosis. So you have to meet these high expectations that you, uh, that you aren't really. So it's kind of like you're always on. What are some of the other things that you talk about in your seminar? I talk about um, I talk about uh, going from school to school and uh, so how uh, like one situation I was going half the day at a public school and half the day at this other private school and during the middle of the day a short bus would come and pick me up in front of the middle school the public middle school in the middle of the day to go to the rest of finish out the rest of the day at this other school across town. And I didn't want the short bus to be seen picking me up in front of the school. I wanted him to park a little bit down the road, like 50 feet down the road. So it wasn't in front of the entire school seeing me get on a short bus and, uh, the educational staff at Scarborough middle school could not wrap their heads around uh, a middle school student wanting to fit in socially. And I thought that that was something that you should absolutely be able to do as qualification for working in education. You should understand uh, what's going through uh, the mind of a normal uh, middle school student at that age. Felt like that should be a qualification. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And, <laughs> and it seems like that's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, they couldn't understand why I might not, why I might be self-conscious about that. Um, so, do you think that in your case, you have have been able to, as someone who's high functioning and as someone who is willing to talk about um, his experiences, do you think that you are helping to make others aware of 
uh, what might be going on for Asperger's people? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think so. I hope so. Dylan, you have spent, um, n- not all of your life has been, I guess, rosy. You've spent some time actually very depressed about your situation. And I know your parents have been with you every step of the way, and it's been hard hard for them and hard for you to go through this. I think another low point that was talked about in the book was time that you actually spent in jail. How? how yeah. How does that... I don't know. I, I think about my own son who's somewhere around your age and how difficult that would be for me to go through it, but also for him to go through that kind of experience. Tell me what that was like for you. Uh, well, the first time going to jail was, uh, it was all right. Cause I was only there for uh, a day. And so it was kind of like, I uh, felt like it's some, one of those things that everybody should have to do once just to say you did it. So it was it was kind of interesting and kind of almost fun for me the first time, but then the second time it was like getting a little bit old, and then the third time it was like, all right, I've already done this, I don't need to be doing this again, and now I'm to the point where I've been in jail in three different states, and I'm comparing jails, like which jail did I like better, which jail was more comfortable, which jail was the food the best. So my dad said, whenever you get to the point where you're comparing and contrasting jails, that's probably not a good sign in your life. No, I would definitely agree with that. And what did you do to try to, I guess, avoid jail in the future? um, The last time that I ended up in jail, as you'll read in the book, uh, it was something that really could not have been avoided. So I remember saying, you know, I'd love to walk out of here today and say I'm never going to go back there but I didn't do anything to come here in the first place so uh, and when I did do something stupid to go to jail I admitted it the first time I went to jail because I was trying to shoplift and I admitted that from day one I, I told everyone what I was there for the third time I ended up there because I accidentally uh, I, ac- I was sitting in my car somebody got out of my car I was looking the other way at another person getting out of my car. It was a group of people. And then I let my foot off the brake. The car started to roll forward because I thought that, you know, they were out of the car. And it turns out one of them was still in front of the car. Like, and then she thought I was purposely trying to run her over, I guess. And so there was nothing I could have done to avoid that. It does seem that part of the issue was you so wanted to um, have friends and you so wanted to have people that cared about you that sometimes people would take advantage of that and take advantage of you. Maybe not in every situation, but it seems like sometimes that did get you into trouble. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes. It uh, took me a long time to be able to correctly read people and read people's intentions and uh, know what to look out for or whether uh, to trust somebody or not. Well, describe that process for me, because I think that um, for you, who you, you didn't come into this world with that ability to read people quite as well, it, it's a real challenge to build that skill. How did you do that? 
it was just a lot of trial and error. Uh, finally realized uh, every time that I, every time I trusted somebody I shouldn't have, I would just think about everything and every detail and what I should have looked out for and what I should have missed. And so it was just a lot of learning it the hard way is the answer to that. Did it ever cause you to feel angry or cynical or bitter? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> so how do you get beyond that to a place where you're now really continuing to try to make people laugh? Um, it's just my nature. I'm, I think that I'm pretty good natured, so it's not my nature to stay bitter and stay cynical, but I use it to remember why I shouldn't be so trusting in the future. You actually are not an only child. You have siblings in your family that have gone through this with you. I have three younger sisters, and um, one one of them is uh, 12, one of them is 17, one of them is 22. And so, um, obviously, big difference age-wise. The 12-year-old one, like, doesn't remember most of the things happening in the book. The 22-year-old one lived through all of it. So, um, I don't know. Which one did you want to know about? Well, tell me about the 22-year-old. What was that like for her? Um, yeah, it was... It was um, I mean, you could ask her uh, better than me, but I would tell you uh, it was probably very uh, difficult at times. Um, when I was younger and we would have screaming matches like that would last for hours because um, I, I just wouldn't be able to drop a subject. I would get fixated on things. And so, um, I don't know, it was probably um, similar to... Uh, having to grow up if your if your parents were like arguing all the time which fortunately ours didn't a lot but it would probably be similar to that kind of situation and how do you get along now uh we get along good now she's been very good uh about looking past um that kind of stuff in the past and now that i'm older and more mature obviously uh we we get in streaming matches less, <laughs> not never, but pretty pretty rarely now. And I'm much better at being able to drop things, so it's not stuff that'll go on and on all night. And, you know, I'm sure that was hard as a kid. So I know we talked earlier about the Lady Gaga uh, parody video that you did and the types of interests that you have, including watching entertainment television. How is that for you now, trying to find people who you can relate to, especially um, men your age, people that can relate to the types of things that you like to do? Uh, it can be difficult. It can be hard because I take what things I'm interested in so seriously sometimes, and that's a common mistake that I've seen with like every Asperger's person I've ever met. And it's true for me to take things too seriously sometimes and realize, don't realize that other people, even though they might be interested in that, 
they aren't taking it as seriously as you, so you have to know when it's uh, appropriate to drop a subject and when it's okay to talk about it and uh, kind of have to hold myself back. So that's just one of many struggles that I find myself uh, still facing today. And what about... When I'm trying to meet somebody, you know, and relate to them. And what about relationships with women? How has that been? How has that been impacted by your Asperger's? Oh, that's uh, that's a different. Well, I mean, it's not a different story. It's an interesting story. And um, like, basically, when I was in high school, I started realizing that uh, I wanted to be able to go on dates like other guys, and I thought that I was just as good looking and just as capable. So I started thinking, what am I doing wrong? What do I, what am I not doing? Cause obviously I don't have a clue about how to talk to these girls. So I started to figure it out and that took, um, a while. Uh, I just kind of threw myself out there and you can read all about that in, in the book and hear all about that also on my show, riding with Dylon, uh, on WLOB 100.5 on Saturdays. I do a segment called dating with Dylon where I talk about, my experiences like this, but like, uh, that was definitely interesting. It took, took me a minute to learn how to, uh, how to be that guy and what guy I wanted to kind of be in order to, uh, talk to girls and to realize that you can't talk to them the same way, especially if you're trying to date them You can't talk to them the same way that I might, you know, uh, have a conversation with a peer about who's interested in the same thing I am. Like, no, it's very, very different. Do you think that other people who don't have Asperger's might experience the same sorts of struggles? They do, but they're not as aware of it as I have been because of my situation. And uh, I've worked very hard to be able to uh, learn the right and the wrong ways to talk to girls, uh, especially for dating. And that has been, um, something that I've been very like aware and deliberate of. And most people are not deliberate when it comes to that. It's either they're good at it or they're not. So in some ways, does this help you? Um, no, but it definitely has allowed me to do it and be compete at the same level, you know, like as a normal guy. Help, I would go, that might be a little strong word, but it's, uh, it could definitely help me teach other people. As a, I'm a, I'm a family practice doctor in my other life. And I, when I read about this diagnosis of the month club and realized that this is something that I could very easily have come into my own medical practice and not recognize, but really want to help. Do you have any suggestions for medical doctors or other people who are dealing with kids who don't have a clear diagnosis yet? Um, hmm. I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Well, what do you think that it would have been helpful for your doctors to see sooner rather than later when you were coming in as a patient? Well, it was in the nineties, you got to remember. And so Asperger's was barely known at the time. Now I'm sure they would have all diagnosed me correctly. I would hope, but back then it was obvious signs. Like I spent an entire hour every week talking about one topic 
and uh, the woman didn't pick up that that was a sign of Asperger's. <laughs> Dylan, I appreciate you're taking the time to talk with me today about your experiences. How can people um, access your radio show or the uh, YouTube channel that you have? I uh, make it really easy for people. This is all you do. You Google my name, which is D-I-E-L-A-W-N. So Dylan, that's D-I-E-L-A-W-N. Just type that into Google. You'll find my Facebook. You'll find my show, Riding with Dylan. You'll find my YouTube channel. You'll find all the Dylan you could ever dream of. Well, very good. I hope people do take the time to um, learn more about the work that you're doing currently because I know that you've put a lot of effort into it and it's actually pretty funny. So it's worth taking the time Thank to you. do that. Yes. We've been speaking with Dylan Voke, who was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome at the age of eight and graduated from Scarborough High School in 2010. Dil- Dylan currently has many videos available for viewing on the Dylon Comedy YouTube channel and also has a regular radio show called Riding with Dylon, which can be heard on WLOB 1310 AM and also streaming. Thanks so much for having this conversation with me today. All right. Thank you. Join Dr. Lisa in celebrating the sweet start of summer with high fashion, main makers, fine craft food and brews. June 18th, 2016 at the third annual Biddeford Ball Black and Tan Charity Event. Designer Roxy Sugar presents main brands on the runway, including Nuthatch, Chart, Seabags, Bowline, Angel Rocks, L.L. Bean Boots, and more. Proceeds will benefit Mainers Feeding Mainers Harvest for Hope Farm to Pantry Program through Good Shepherd and other local food banks. DJ Baby Blue, New York City's veteran of mashup, will keep you moving all night long with his legendary vinyl sounds. More information and tickets available at www.biddefordball.org. Maine Magazine presents the Kenny Bunkport Festival, June 6th through June 11th. Join in the fun with over 35 events throughout the week, including big fun parties, private dinners, cocktails, music, and art. Take your pick or attend them all by visiting kennybunkportfestival.com or by calling 207-772-3373. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 246, Life on the Spectrum. Our guests have included Derek Amy and Dylan Boak. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Life on the Spectrum show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Berlin City Honda, The Rooms by Harding Lee Smith, Maine Magazine, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasson. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellotti. 
For more information on our host's production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.